It's Sunday night, it's 9.30 and it's time for the Jersnet podcast, the totally free and independent Rangers show brought to you by the fans, for the fans and always absolutely live. two excellent wins we would be dominated by talking about the football um, but sadly this week there really is only one place to start. On Wednesday the entirety of the Rangers family was rocked by the news that we were expecting but dreading that Fernando Rickson has finally succumbed to his condition and passed away and I know that I speak for everyone here at Jersnet when I say that our thoughts are with all of Fernando's family and his friends as they come to terms with the loss of a true warrior and we're going to devote a whole segment of the show uh, this evening to our reflections on Fernando so stick with us for that. Back on the pitch this week, and it's been hugely successful for the Bears as we pick up another three points in Perth uh, and as we get off to the perfect start in Europe as we welcome to Feyenoord to Ibrooks on Thursday. Joining me tonight to dissect the week is two of the original Jersnet pod contributors. First up, it's a very, very warm welcome back to Frankie. Uh, Frankie, how have you been enjoying your weekend? It's been a, a good one. Uh, fairly quiet yesterday in anticipation of a day of sport. Uh, on, on Sunday, obviously, we had the, the the egg chasing first thing, and then it was a bit of Formula One, a bit of the Rangers, and then one man and his dog um, this evening. What made you want in that? I absolutely, absolutely spot on. What did you make of the rugby this morning? Rather poor, wasn't it? I was. Uh, I must admit, I fancied Ireland to win, but I thought Scotland would have put up a, a bit more of a fight. But that seems to be the norm at the minute. Um, the, the Scottish teams are not doing very well at all. Rugby. Uh, football and, and we even got hammered and came in last on one man and his dog with the sheepdogs. It's ah, classic, and it? it's um, you know you spend so long getting yourself excited and worked up. I was really looking forward to the rugby. Got myself up nice and early, sat myself on the sofa and uh, switched it off after twenty minutes because I couldn't be asked with it anymore. Just waiting for the Rangers to start. Also with us this evening is the inimitable Pete. Pete, what is the latest from out on the continent? Yeah, I've had a great weekend as well. Um... We've had beautiful weather here the last three days. It's uh, a wee, high, a wee in the high twenties again. I think it was twenty-seven degrees today. So we've had a really beautiful weather. I had a big family party yesterday. So of a busy weekend, but very enjoyable. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Um, now, listen. As I said at the top of the show, we are indeed broadcasting live, and you can get involved with the show as always by leaving us a comment, leaving us a question over on the YouTube stream. I'll be keeping my eye on that all night uh, and I'm going to read out some of those throughout the show. The pod is also available to download from Monday morning. Uh, you can grab that on iTunes, Google Music, Acast, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast from. So make sure you subscribe uh, and you'll never miss a thing. Right, that's the, uh, that's the introductory spiel done on with the show. So today, obviously, we saw the team head over to Perth to pick up three points against St. Johnston. Uh, Frankie, listen, as cliched as it sounds, it really was a game of two halves today. What did you make of the performance? Aye, it was. Um, obviously, the first half was a bit pedestrian, a bit one-paced, lacked a bit of tempo, didn't really create very much at all. One chance in behind for Morelos and their goalkeeper made a good save. Um, I thought Ojo looked fairly dangerous when he got in the ball, but as seems to be his one, he, he seems to slow things up, down a bit too much. It's maybe a bit unfair to criticise him after his goal during the week, but um, he needs to be a, just a bit more direct at times, I think, and, and he tends to slow it down for somebody that's so quick. 
So obviously it was. Uh, I don't think very many of the fans were happy at half time, but the second half was was much improved. It was helped obviously by an early goal, and uh, that allowed us to operate in a bit more spaces. And Johnson tried to come out and get an equaliser, and and to be honest, we, we controlled the game and never really looked under any any threat until yeah, late on when they had to clear that one off the line, and it was cleared off the line by Stephen Davis. Don't know how quite how he managed it, but uh, twice in a row, but he did so. All in all, a well-deserved win. So talk us through then, Frankie, what happened in the first half, because it was incredibly lacklustre. I mean, is that something to do maybe with a, a hangover from the exertions of Thursday night? I mean, why, why was it so subpar? I think um, I think the manager nailed it, actually, in his uh, post-match interview. I think the players just had it in their heads a wee bit more than anything else. I think it was a mental block, so to speak. I think we just thought, well, it was a, a tough game. The player read that everywhere. So automatically, you think we're maybe a bit heavy-legged, and uh, and it showed a wee bit. We just a bit didn't really move the ball quick enough. We're over reliant on Goldson and Helander and, and Tavernier again. We didn't use the left-hand side enough. As I say, Ojo was fairly decent when he got on the ball, but that wasn't enough. Mirelos didn't really wasn't really in the game. I thought Jack started well. I thought he did quite well for the first twenty minutes, and the whole team was okay for the first twenty minutes actually. But then we just sort of lost their way. And I think that's where the, the mental block came in. People think, oh, we're a bit tired and maybe feeling a bit sorry for themselves. So it was good to hear uh, Gerard in the same interview saying that um, it was uh, they, they had it out in, in the dressing room at half time. And Ryan Jack was the same. He said the players had their say. And obviously there was a, a drastic change of attitude. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously the opening goal so soon after the, the, uh, the, the restart was a big help. I don't know what would have happened if we never got that. But... Certainly, but the way we played afterwards, it was the, the tempo was a lot higher. Guys like Aribo, who he was pretty anonymous in the first half, he really got himself in the game. I thought Davis took the game with the scruff of the neck as well. I thought he was pretty poor in the first half, but really started to try and get a bit, a bit more forward and affect the game in more forward areas. And uh, and because of that, work, as I say, we, we we controlled it a lot better. We created opportunities and and we were fairly clinical when when they, those came around. Thankfully. Frankie, do you not think that the manager played a part in that as well? Because he was complaining about the, the early start. Could that not have got into the player's head as well? Oh, we're, we're having to start very early. Maybe. You could be right, Peter. It's a, it's a fair point. I mean, if, if you're talking about the uh, psychological or mental blocks being a problem, then you've got to be careful on how you how you approach games and what you say yourself. And and so maybe the, the manager does deserve a bit of criticism. But I think it's fair to say what he says in public and into the media has got to be completely different uh, to what he says in the dressing room, you know. So as much as he's quite right to make a political point about early kickoffs and a bit of pressure placed on teams when they're playing in Europe, I, I think he would have been saying the opposite to his players, saying there's no excuse. Um, an extra couple of hours isn't going to make all that much of a difference. So um, I, I'm not overly worried about it. I think uh, I think we, we deserve to win the day, and I think the players' attitude was pretty good uh, by and large. And um, I think we've showed a bit of character throughout this season, to be honest, Celtic game aside. So um, I'm, I'm not overly worried about them on a mental side. And, that, and that's quite good because I think in the last two or three seasons, I think we have had issues in that side of the game. And uh, it's good to see us uh, improve in, in that respect. I think the, the, the point about character and mentality is a huge, a huge point. We've kind of spoken about it this season, but also in previous seasons, how the character was certainly lacking. And then this season, something's really changed. And, as as Ewan points out here in the in the YouTube comments that 
you know, last season or before we'd had Steven Gerrard, that could have been a, a no-nil game or worse. But the, the players now have the mentality, have the belief to turn these games around. I mean, we've we seen it happen last week at Livingston. We go a goal down, but we respond to it positively. We get a kick up the arse that we need and we go and win the game. Um, and, and that's something that, that we sorely lacked last last season, season before that. And it's why we never really challenged for the title, in my opinion. Um, Pete, one of the players that's really been standing out for me over the last few weeks, and, and again today, was awarded Man of the Match by BT Sport. Uh, Gerard comes out in his post-match, pre- post-match press conference really praising him as, as Stephen Davis. Um, what kind of an impact has, has Davis had this season? And is he perhaps showing the best form that he ever has shown in a Rangers shirt? Well, I have to hold up my hands here and say I was one of the players that I didn't want Davis to come back, but he's totally proved me wrong. Uh, he's, he's, he's been absolutely brilliant uh, since he came back. I must admit, I, I didn't think Davis was man of the match day. I thought he was really good. For me, it would have been Ryan Jack because I thought Jack was just the the, the catalysator for everything that, that, that went on in the midfield. Um the, the goal for Morelos, it, it was him that sort of broke out of defence. And I, I, I thought Jack was, was, he would have been my man of the match today. But Davis has, has, has just been totally proved me wrong. And uh, I, ho- I hold my hands up and he's, 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 been, he's been great. And another big performance, Pete, for uh, for Alan McGregor today. So often in games, he's, he's kept quiet and he doesn't have a lot to do, but he, he always steps up when when he's called upon. McGregor's, yeah. I mean, it's, they they talk about it's worth his weight in gold. Um, well, that, I think that that's for McGregor as well. He's uh, the, the, saved us today, uh, going one 0 behind in the first half, and against Feyenoord, he was absolutely brilliant as well. And unfortunately, the goalkeeper's not one that's often judged to be man of the match. But I think you, he must be up there as well every week. Because he, he's always pulling off one or two brilliant saves per game. And obviously, a goalkeeper is the last line of defence. So if he doesn't make that save, it's obviously putting us behind. But um, I, I mean, I think he's proved over the years that, uh, that he is a, a top goalkeeper. And it's, it's going to be really hard to replace him. And let's, let's not take away from fathering him, staying on the bench. I mean, I, I, I think. It shows character from him as well to sit on the bench every week and just be the cover for, for McGregor. So I think that's another point as well. But if uh, McGregor's going to be really hard to replace once we, uh, once we have to. Yeah, I mean, he's getting to that stage in his career where he's not going to be playing for ages. And it's a, it's a good point about Fodringham as well. You know, it can't be easy for the lad to go from first-choice goalkeeper for, for two or three seasons, obviously under Warburton and under Caixinha. Um, to then be sitting on the bench every week. Um, another player that I think we really need to talk about, and Jamie's kind of slightly jumped in ahead of us here on the YouTube, the next point I wanted to get to was talking about the enigmatic Borna Barisic, um, who on Thursday against Feyenoord had un- undoubtedly his best game for Rangers. Today, again, I thought he was incredibly solid. Um, he seems to be playing with a new confidence, a new belief. You can see that he gets the ball and he wants to take players on. He wants to go by people and put a ball in the box. and He's shown a newfound confidence that he's not shown before. Frankie, has he has he nailed down that left back starting spot for you, or is there more still work for for Borna to do to get in ahead of the likes of Flanagan or Halliday? 
I think he's done the business, certainly in the last uh, few games that he's played. Um, and it's, it's debatable, debatable if he's still our first choice. I think um, I think Flanagan um, did, did, had a good start to the season, obviously picked up an injury, had his, his head operation, and I think the manager might still well favour him now and again um, in, in Europe. So it, de- it depends on, on how, how we play when we go to places like Porto and and Fionord, um over the next few months, whether or not Flanagan is fit, obviously. But certainly in the last few games, Barisic has, has definitely showed the, the, the quality that makes him uh, Croatia's first-choice left-back. I think um, I think it's just, it, it's just kept it simple, and I, and I think that's why his, his confidence is improving. There's no point in trying to do World Cup stuff if you're not playing well, and it doesn't come off because it just affects your confidence and makes you, you play even, even worse. And... And because he's, he's just kept it simple, he's starting to to gain confidence. He's, he's actually he's a good player. He's got a good touch. He's good in the ball. His passing's good. Obviously, we know his crossing's good. He takes an excellent free kick. So he's got all the attributes. He's tall. He's quick. So he, he should be a first choice left back. And and it's I'm I'm glad he's playing. I, I did say a few weeks ago that um, I think we needed to to give him a run of games and and really see where we are again in in January. And if he's not done it in January, then you maybe would like to. To move him on because I'm sure we would uh, realise decent money for him to be honest but um, I'd much rather keep our best players and I think Barisic has has the potential to be one of our best players if he, if he can maintain and improve on this form Yeah and it's, it, it seems to be a confidence issue for him as well like you say and he's clearly one of the more technical one of the more gifted footballing players in, in the squad he's you know you, you don't fall into the Croatia squad by chance. But, um, you know, we said a, a few weeks ago when the last time I was on the show, we were hoping that Borna Barisic was reaching a turning point and that he needs a run of games. Well, he seems to be getting it now. Um, the the injury for John Flanagan, is, it's kind of sad to say it, but it's come at a very, very good time for Borna Barisic to, to nail down and cement his spot. And he's, thankfully, finally, he seems to be grasping the opportunity, which undoubtedly would have been his last chance to to impress the top brass at Rangers. Sorry, uh, Ross, it's going to be interesting to see whether he, he's picked to play on Wednesday when we're playing a plastic pitch. Well, absolutely. I mean, as you know, Pete, you were saying just before we come in here there that Barisic is, is on record saying he doesn't like playing on the plastic pitches. Do you think then, perhaps, Pete, that this is a game for Andy Halliday on Wednesday? Well, I, I don't know what Barisic will think of the plastic pitch, but... Um, I hope not. I would like to see Barisic keep, obviously, playing good and and getting your confidence up. He's obviously got his confidence from somewhere. I think uh, I think Gerard might have sent him to the Wizard of Oz to get a heart. So, but um, when he, when he, if, I I wouldn't drop him because I think now he's got his he's got his confidence up. I would certainly keep playing him and hopefully his confidence builds more and. We get the player that we thought we'd bought because the last two games, that's what he's looked like, the player that we thought we'd bought. I guess then the next defensive enigma that we need to talk about is the, the sudden mysterious disappearance of Nuko Katic, Pete. Um, Katic, who we all kind of agreed had been possibly the strongest standout performer of the squad over the start of the season, then finds himself bombed out, not even on the bench against Feyenoord and again today. Um it, the guy's not injured. The guy's had an excellent start to the season. Obviously, Hollander needs game times. You know, one of the most expensive signings we've ever made. But um, 
what what exactly is going on here, Pete, with Nico Katic? Do you have any insight as to as to why he's not making the team? I don't have any insight, but I think right at the beginning when he was dropped, I think I sort of I read something that there was maybe a burst up in the in the training field, but I, I can't substantiate that. I don't know. Uh, I just sort of read that somewhere, and the way he sort of just dropped out, it, it seems to be that something's happened anyway. Because uh, I mean, he was he was a top defender for me anyway. I know there's people who think Goldson's a top defender, but for me. Um, he was a top defender, and if, if he was going to bring in Hellander, then, then for me it should have been with Cattage. But uh, no, there seemed to be something happened. And, but I, I don't know, Gerard's never really been that faithful to him, has he? I mean, he dropped him last year just like a ton of bricks, and the same seems to have happened this year. I don't know why Gerard doesn't see in what other people seem to see. And he sticks, Gerard sticks with goals and even although, I mean, look, if you look at this mistake against Celtic, uh, if that had been Cattage that had made that mistake, then I don't think he would have played the next game. Um, it just came, seems to Gerard just doesn't seem to, to like him. And for me, it looks like he's just been looking for an excuse to drop him to get Hellander in. So, but, yeah, I don't know. I know Frankie's got another view on that, so uh, that's uh, that's my view on it. Right, come on then, Frankie, what do you reckon? I think you're just looking a bit too too much into it. Katic is still a young guy. Um, he has had a great start to the season. I don't think he's got to disagree with you there. I think uh, I think he's been our best centre half. I think Goals has done well. I don't think he's done a huge amount wrong. People tend to be a bit picky about his distribution. I can understand that sometimes he, he plays long balls when they're not really on. Um, but I think it'll... Or, or, or him and Katic, obviously Golson's the, the better on the ball, so that's why he's tasked to be the one to to, to pass it more often. And I think Golson's distribution has improved. Um, he's made a few mistakes. The Celtic game was one of them. I mean, Katic didn't cover himself in glory at that goal either. I mean, uh, Golson's to blame. I mean, he, he ran down a dead end and then gave the ball away, but Katic usually covers him behind when that when when Golson goes on these runs. And this time he didn't. Then he played offside and, and gave. Um, Edward a clean run and goal, but it, it was it, that was Golson's fault. In, in terms of Katic not playing, so I don't think there's any conspiracy theory. There, there isn't any fallout. Gerard rates Katic. He's said that as, as much several times. I think we all rate Katic, but he's a young guy. Um, there's plenty of time for Katic to to go on and, and become a, a Rangers great, and I've no doubt that, that he will. Um, I, I think, um, to be honest, I, I think somebody like Golson will be the guy that might not be here too much longer because I think he's a, he is a quality player, and I think. Um, the English team is interested in him. He's proven that, he, that his uh, fitness is, is fine um, since his heart problems. He's, he's our, our first-choice defender for a reason because he's good. He had a good game today. He scored a great goal today. Um, I think he'll under done well in the last two games, so the manager's been proven right because the two games before that, um, Katic and Golson didn't play well against Celtic and neither of the two of them were that impressive against Livingston last week either. And In fact, there was a, there was a, a bit of moaning and groaning in the park towards Katic and I says to my pal Hibby uh, sits next to me I thought I'd be a bit sorry for Katic actually because there was a, quite a few of the players having a go at him and it didn't look like he was any more to blame for the issues at the back that we were having than, than anybody else so but I I, I, I just, well, just didn't, didn't get panic about it I think the, the guy's having a well-end rest and I'm pretty sure he'll come back into the team 
for example, possibly on, on Wednesday. If not, he'll come in soon enough because you kind of keep the guy at the team because he played so well. And uh, as much as Helander's done quite well, he's a different type of player. And maybe even see three at the back at some point as well. So it's great to have so many options. So rather than people wanting to find fault with Goldson or find fault with, with, with Katic, let's just enjoy the fact that we've got three excellent set and halves with Edmondson, another great option, and just, uh, just move forward from there, you know? Uh, very well said, Frankie. I, I think the thing possibly that worries me, though, is that, it, you know, Gerard is saying, look, he's just he's just managing him. He's a young player. He needs to take him out the side and give him a rest, take him away from the, the spotlight for a wee while. The thing that worries me is that dropping him entirely from the squad, not even putting him on the bench, makes it seem like he's at fault for something. Um, when at the moment, I, I just don't think he is. And I, as long as, you know, none of us know Nico Katic, none of us know how he's reacting to it all. And, and the person that will know that is Steven Gerrard. So I'm sure that he is managing him properly. And, and maybe we do all need to just have a wee bit of faith in that. Listen, Frankie, last word on the on the game today. I think we need to kind of touch on the three referee and hot points. Um, one that's kind of generated the most buzz is the the kind of goal line clearance from Steve Davis, which well, the double clearance, I suppose. Uh, you've seen a lot of pundits who are saying it was a clear goal, ball entirely over the line. Um, should St Johnson have had a goal awarded? Should it have been two one? And and do you think they have a right to feel aggrieved about that? No, it was it was cleared off a line. It's pretty pretty clear cut from the um, the camera viewpoint opposite the main stand. Um, when you first see the, the the first replay, it does look like it's maybe just a wee bit over. But the angle of that isn't great. I mean, the, the camera is probably I don't think it's quite on the halfway line, but maybe around about the eighteen yard line. So the, the angle isn't clear at all. But and obviously it, it took up seemed to take a, a few minutes BT to to find the other camera angle. And by that point, obviously Kagan and Sutton had already decided it was a goal and that they'd been hard done by, when in fact it wasn't. Um, he did brilliantly to block the first shot and then the second one, he sort of turned his back and it came off his heel. And I didn't even think half the ball was over the line, so it just was nowhere near a goal. And um, I think anybody that claiming it is, then they've obviously got issues with their eyesight because it was it was two excellent clearances by Davis. Uh, it was really superb goal line stuff. Um, the next contentious one, should we have had a penalty um, for the, the handball incident? I think it was around about 70, 75 minutes. Absolutely. Of course, it was the clearest uh, foul in, in the game today. It was, I mean, th this is the problem we've got with the Scottish media. I mean, obviously, the, the goal in clearance was quite interesting because it, it happened well, a few minutes to go. It could have got St Johnston in the game and left us with squeaky bums for the last five minutes. Um, so, and that, with that in mind, fair enough, it's got to provoke some discussion and a bit of controversy. But the, the, the more interesting aspect of, of the, the refereeing was how he never gave that penalty. I mean, even the commentators, even Sutton and Craig were making jokes about it. How can you see it? He was about three yards away, had the perfect, perfect view of it. It was a clear handball. The guy even extended his arm to it. It was unconscious because we'd all do that. But he extended his arm towards the ball. It was an unnatural position. So by the rules this year, by the rules last year, it was a penalty kick. The only thing you could say it was maybe was it in the box, but even then it, it was it was on the line, it was in the box. So it's uh, it was a clear penalty, and it's absolutely ridiculous that the main controversy seems to be, or oh, look at this, Rangers have got away with one. And the only decision we benefited from today was the fact that we got a, a the, the fourth goal wasn't given as offside. But even then, none of the none of the commentators or the uh, 
the pundits mentioned that until the scene about three replays, and I never thought it was offside to begin with, but then you see the replay, and it was, it was just offside. But it's uh, football, it's, these, these things happen. Decisions tend to even themselves out. We're all get annoyed when, when they go against us. We all like to, to be a bit smug when they go for us. So let's just love it, move on, and uh, and, and Rangers won deservedly today, and, and the, the, the issues today when they have all that didn't affect the outcome, and that's all that matters. Can, can do any of you guys know what the, the actual rule is? And because Ian Ferguson said on on Rangers TV, he said that uh, his arm might have been out the box, but his both feet were in the box. What is the rule there? If you if your feet are in the box and your arms out the box, is that a penalty or is it not a penalty? But what is the exact rule? Any of you know that? It's where, the, it's where the foul occurs, so it's where the, where the handballs it. So he handballed it inside the box. At the very worst, it was on the line, so that's that's inside the box, deemed inside the box. So it was a, a definite penalty. And there isn't any argument, I doubt it. Just no argument at all. And anybody that says otherwise, just... Oh, no, I agree. I agree, I agree fully it's a penalty. Mm-hmm. Bigger, bigger penalties you can get, really. Mm-hmm. I know, it's those crafty masons, eh? Um, listen, I think we're going to have to leave it there for the St Johnston game. Obviously, there's plenty more that we want to cover. Um, next logical place to move on to is Thursday night, kicking off the Europa League campaign group stages uh, against Feyenoord. Uh, obviously, a, a, an incredibly tough game on paper. Um, but Pete, uh, the first 45 minutes, we made this look anything like a tough game. What did you make of that first half performance on Thursday? Well, yeah, I loved it. Obviously, uh, I've got spared because I live in I lived in Holland for so long. It was a, a special game for me. And I must admit, my, my son's a, a fine or supporter, so we had a family uh, dispute on that one. And uh, I think Rangers started the first couple of minutes quite good, and then Feyenoord took over uh, and pressed us. Uh, Larson had a chance and hit the side net. And then all of a sudden, we, we got the, the penalty, which I don't know why Feyenoord we're discussing the penalty because uh, is that was another one hundred percent penalty. I mean, he's the guy had his hand on uh, the Rangers player's head. I can't remember who even know who it was for a minute. Um, but he, he had his hand in his head and was was stopping them jumping. Uh, so it was a definite penalty. And after that, Feyenoord just seemed to crumble. Uh, which which they've they've been doing the last few weeks uh, against the Hague, they they crumbled in the second half. Uh, went from a three 0 went to three two, and today as well they they were two 0 in front, and in the second half they just crumbled again. Uh, they 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 were two 0 up. It went to three two, and then they got a goal in the last few minutes, I believe, and uh, it went to three each. So they, they seem to have a. It seems to be a common factor at the moment that Feyenoord can crumble, and they did that against Rangers in the in the first half, uh, which Rangers but just put pressure on them. Uh, we didn't give them a second uh, on the ball, and it was brilliant. And Morelos against that guy uh, Lee, I think it is you call him. Uh, he rolled them every time the ball came. He just rolled them, and absolutely. Great performance. I think it's one of the best performances we've had, uh, and it should have shouldn't have just been one 0 It should have been about three or four 0 
Yeah, I mean, it was slightly, you know, slightly frustrating and everyone's kind of admitted that to go in at halftime uh, at, at nothing each. Uh, there were so many good chances, obviously, Scotty Arfield knocking the ball off the crossbar. Shea Ojo kind of seemed to have so much time in the box and then, again, you know, gets the shot away and it gets clipped onto the side of the post. James Tavernier missing the penalty. Pete, do you think it's possible that we should have had a, a second penalty in that first half when Morelos was taken down in the box? Uh, no, I'll I'll go against the grain in that one. Uh, you you couldn't. At first, I, I thought it was. I was shouting and bawling. No, that's a penalty. That's a penalty. But if you've seen the replay from behind the goal, then you could clearly see that the guy played the ball and Morelos hit him after the ball was away. So I'm afraid I'm going against the grain in that one, and I don't think it was a penalty. You see, I, I still can't even make my mind up and I'm leaning towards the fact that it was a penalty. Frankie, how about you? I thought it was a penalty. Um, at the time, actually, I didn't think it was when I seen it in the real, real time. But um, the, uh, the, the couple of replays showed that I think Morelos just got a touch off a defender and the, the defender took his foot rather than the ball. And uh, and I thought it was a penalty. Um, yeah, I, I would have I would have gave that one. And, I think the difference must be the, the, the Dutch producer and the British producer putting out the, the programme. <laughs> because it, 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 clearly, it clearly showed you, the, the, the pictures I've seen, it clearly showed you that the, the guy kicked the ball away. Look, at the end of the day, we, we, we didn't mean it. Uh, we, did, we didn't need it. The question, though, Frankie, is, is it now possibly time to take James Tavernier off the penalties? Obviously, we have Morelos. You can see it in his face. He's itching to take the penalties. You, know, you just know he would kind of put his whole weight behind it and bury it in the back of the net, is it time to take Tav off penalty duty? No, not necessarily. I'd, I'd leave it down to him to decide. Uh, he's a confident lad. Um, he, he never hides. I, I think Tav's not had a great start to the season at all, actually. I think he's really struggled with his touch. Um, he's, he's losing the ball and giving it away much more often than, than he's done before, certainly for a year or two. Um, and he's, But... One thing I'd say, I mean, he's never hid. He keeps looking for the ball. He keeps doing it. He keeps putting crosses in. I mean, he's created another uh, goal today. Um, so if the guy's feeling confident enough to hit, then let him hit. I mean, he took, what, how many last year? 12 penalties last year and scored 11 of them. So it's difficult to uh, uh, take issue with his technique or, or the quality offers on them. At the same time, You've missed two now, so it might well be worth giving a, a go to somebody else. But it's it's, it's the same rules. That what happens if they miss it? Do we now have a third penalty kick taker? To be honest, I, th I think anybody should be capable of taking a decent penalty. Isn't it that hard a skill? Um, it's obviously different when you're doing it in front of 50,000 people in a Europa League match um, than doing it down the park. So it's uh, I think in that case, as I say, Tav's your captain. And the manager's right to let um, him decide if he's comfortable and confident, let him take it. If he's not, then then, then uh, Morelos is as good a choice as any to, to deputise. And obviously it's a, a, a huge win and a very tough opening fixture and, and gets us off to the perfect start in the group, Frankie. Does it change your expectations as to what we should be looking to achieve in this group, does it? start? Obviously, you know, when we, when we qualify for the groups, everyone's saying, right, that's... That's all of our expectations either met or surpassed. But to pick up three points in, in the first game, now obviously we're looking to go away to young boys in, in Switzerland who are seeded third. So on paper, the easiest opposition will come up against. Have your expectations of what we're going to get out of this group changed at all? 
No, not really. I think I mean I was on last week's pod and I was fairly confident and, and bullish beforehand, thinking that we can that we're capable of qualifying. As, as I said then, I think the, the standard of the teams is fairly similar to to what we faced in last year's Europa League. But crucially, I think we've improved. Um, I think our squad's bigger. I think it's better. I think the players are more experienced. Um, most of them have played now at this level, so they know what to expect. Um, it won't be easy, um, even after last week's win. But the players should be extremely confident. Um, and I, th- I think last week was a, an excellent performance, first half especially, but even the second half, I mean, you could see towards the end we tired. I was a bit frustrated that the manager didn't make subs a bit earlier. Um, but we, we got the result, it was well-deserved. We should have scored more, if anything. Um, so the players should be honestly playing at the top of their game now and they should be going to, to Switzerland with uh, the greatest of confidence. So, yeah, I, I still fancy us to qualify, but it's obviously it's, it's a tough ask. But I think um, that Stephen Gerrard's not the type of person to say, oh, be wishy-washy about things. Oh, maybe we can do it. Let's try hard. He'll expect these guys to do it and have a bit of belief in themselves. So as fans, I think I think we should do the same. Let's not be unreasonable about it. Let's be fair, but let's be confident. Well, I think there has to be a pragmatism about these things as well, though. And, you you know, you have to look at these, look at the fixtures and, and on paper, what's going to be the easiest ones to take points from. If we're ever going to qualify from the group, we would have to beat teams like Feyenoord at home. We have to beat young boys at home. And it probably means, you know, either winning one of our away games or also beating Porto at home. So it's like, it's not impossible. And we've, we've got off to the perfect start. Like I say, we've, we've shown that we deserve to be on the European stage in the group stages. So... I guess it's a very, very positive start and, and it was a very special night on Thursday. But Frankie, you mentioned Shea Ojo uh, earlier on in the show and I'm, I kind of wanted to just delay because I wanted to talk about him as well in, in this segment. For me, Shea Ojo's a wee bit of an enigma in that, you know, he seems, you know, like you said, he seems to slow the play down. He seems to make a lot of mistakes. He's quite wasteful, I think. His, his passing's not great. He shies away from tackles sometimes and yet, the lad gets goals. You can see that his output is actually very, very good statistically. Is that maybe just a compromise that we need to make with Shea Ojo? Yeah, I think so. I think that he's 22. I mean, he's not 18 or 19. The guy's got experience. He's, he's, so we can't be making excuses for him. He should he should know when to pass a ball, when to shoot, and when to cross, when to run to guys, when to check back. So things like that. It's um, it's, it shouldn't be new to him. Um, so it's frustrating when, when he, he does make the wrong decision because I think he does that a bit too often. But it's early days. Um, Rangers fans are, are, are a fickle bunch. We're demanding and uh, we expect perfection, which is, is fairly unreasonable. I mean, I think you mentioned pragmatism there. Uh, I think that's that's exactly the right word. We've got to be pragmatic when it comes to, to younger players. I think we've got to expect them to, to make mistakes. Uh, to, to take their own decision and but at the same time I think we've got to expect when they do that that, that they learn from it um, and that's what I'm hoping from Mojo I mean um, I quite like him I think there's he's obviously talented he's quick he's, he's good on the ball he's reasonably two-footed he can go either way um, he's got a good shot when he puts the laces through it, it he really does strike the ball well so it kind of annoys me sometimes when he goes for these sort of tame colours which aren't they always on um, today it was frustrating because he was getting the ball in good positions, beating a man and then seemed to slow down rather than really driving at teams. I don't know if it was maybe a lack of options in front of him, so he was trying to delay it a bit, but it 
quite often St Johnston then got players in behind them and, he, and that's when he was giving the ball away or, or the chance was sort of lost to counter. So, as I say, there's there's a lot of improvement to be made there, but he's certainly, you, you can't argue with his goals and assists so far. So, um, I think we can only hope that over the course of the season he, he keeps improving. And, I mean, it took Ryan Kent the best part of half a season or six months to, to really start affecting games, how it, it turned him into a £7 million signing. So, fingers crossed, um, Ojo can do, do the same thing on that same trajectory. Uh, absolutely, and it'll be interesting when Ryan Kent comes back to actually see once we've got a, a full complement of players to, to choose from what what Gerard does in the wide areas. Because I think at seven million pounds, Ryan Kent, if he's fit, is a guaranteed starter. Um, but then the question is, what do we do with the likes of Jordan Jones, Brandon Barker, Greg Stewart? I mean, it's it's not unusual to see Scott Arfield given a very free roaming role. Same with Joe Arrivo. We know we've definitely seen him playing out wide before. So. There's a lot of competition for the for the young lads on the wing, um, and Shea Yojo, whilst statistically his output is is good in, in terms of the numbers of goals and assists, like you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned these kind of tame curling efforts that seem to travel at about four miles an hour straight into the goalkeeper's gloves. It's there's something frustrating to watch, and yet that goal on Thursday was was a real moment of release. So it's he's he's a young player, he's a winger. You expect him to be inconsistent. Um, and, and maybe that's just the kind of compromise we have to make as, as the guy learns his trade. Pete, I could hear that you're kind of itching to get in on the conversation about the Europa League. What do you make of our, our chances now that we've obviously taken three points off a tough Feyenoord side? What are your expectations for the remainder of the campaign? Well, I, I was I was always confident that we, we could beat Feyenoord at Ibrox. And I certainly think, well, I, I think we can beat Feyenoord in Rotterdam as well. Because uh, unless they improve in, in the month that that's still to, I think when when is it that game the end of October or something, then uh, I, I I don't see them improving that much that we can't beat them there as well. Uh, I always think Switzerland is an underrated country when it comes to football players because they're actually quite good at international level. So I I I'm sort of frightened of that one. And but the one thing I think is that all these teams they're underrating Rangers. They think they're coming for three points and they're going to get three points. And Rangers have just shown over last year and this year that we're good enough to go even to out uh, away games and take the points off them there. And let's face it, when we went to Moscow, we should have we should have beat beat one there as well. It was just absolutely. Yeah, unfortunate we didn't take the, the full points here and we were through last year. But yeah, I really think there's a great chance we'll go through and uh, I'm, I'm quite confident we'll go through. Do you think, Pete, that us having no fans in Switzerland will, will make any difference to the lads over there? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a possibility. Yeah, that's a, knowing that there's no support there. But it, yeah, it's... I think Gerard will try and, and get it into them that uh, they've, they've just got to do it in the field, whether there's, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there'll be Rangers supporters getting there somewhere, but obviously not in the the amount that, that we would have if we, we had taken tickets from it. But uh, yeah, I hope not. I still think, I still think we can do a job there. And for me, I think probably a draw would be good there. Uh and yeah, I'm, I don't think Porto are the team that they used to be either. So I'm I'm quite confident we can we can even take points there. 
to be honest. Well, I certainly hope so. And I think Ewan makes a really good point here on, on the YouTube stream is that the way we set up now to counter-attack in, in Europe, it just seems to work. You know, we there's a real difference between our opposition domestically and, and in Europe in that, you know, whilst teams like St Johnston don't necessarily entirely park the bus, they really do park a lot of men behind the ball and look to frustrate Rangers. That doesn't seem to happen so much in Europe, you know, even against some of the weaker sides that we faced in qualifying. I mean, I think St. Joseph's from Gibraltar kind of did stick a lot of men behind the ball. But if you look at games like Mitchelland away in Denmark, that was the kind of game where we set up perfectly because they, I mean, they were playing 3-5-2. They they wanted to play attacking, expansive football. And we soaked up the pressure and we hit them on the counter-attack. And Joe Aribo's goal out in Denmark was the perfect example of that. If we can just execute that game plan again in Switzerland, again in Rotterdam and in Porto, it it lends itself really, really nicely to European football. Um, and I think that can give us a, a, a huge, a huge amount of confidence. It's, let's say, you know, people were hopeful of, of qualification to the group stages and we got that. And to a large degree, that's the expectations met for me. That's me kind of satisfied. But as a Rangers fan, you're never really satisfied when there's another step you could go. It's never enough just to compete, just to show up and make make up the numbers. We want to go that extra step. We want to prove that we are back where we belong, that we are a force to be reckoned with in European football. And make no mistake, like you say, Pete, teams must be afraid of playing Rangers because they see the results. They see us going to Villarreal and getting points. They see us beating Feyenoord and, and, and teams like that, beating Rapid Vienna last season. So when that draw is made, Rangers are the team that everyone wants to avoid. So it's it's a wonderful feeling to be performing again in Rangers. I thought that, that Thursday night was incredibly special, a really good result to watch. Um, reminiscent of the Rapid Vienna game at a similar time last season. So uh, whatever happens, it's it's a positive. But we've set ourselves up really, really nicely to, to go on and get progression from the group. Listen, guys, we've got 20 minutes or so left of the show. Um, we've kind of so far been avoiding the, the, the massive elephant in the room that has been a, a, a hugely successful week on the pitch for Glasgow Rangers, but um, a tragic, very, very sad week off the pitch. The last, what was it now, so six years or so have been, we've all been following the story of Fernando Rickson, who, who went public with his battle with motor neurons disease, a horrible, debilitating, crippling, uh, condition that that slowly wastes away your the uh, the neurons that that link your essentially your decision making into your muscles and and your body starts to waste away whilst retaining kind of complete mental faculties. It's a, a horrible horrible condition, and to see a, a warrior and a fighter and a captain like Fernando Rickson to to suffer with it was was truly truly heartbreaking. Um, that battle came to an end this week when the news broke on Wednesday that Fernando had had indeed passed away, totally surpassed any expectations that the doctors gave him six years ago and um, a really, really dark day for, for Rangers, for football in general. Frankie, what are your memories of, of Fernando Rickson as a player, as a Rangers captain? What what really sticks out for you? I think you mentioned the word warrior there, Ross, and, and I think that typified Rickson um, completely right to the very end. Um, I think he arrived at Rangers and... I think one of the first games he played was at was at Parkhead and we got beat six two and I remember being at that game and he actually had a nightmare obviously Bobby Petter 
terrorised him. I think he got taken off after half an hour. I think his second game against Celtic at Parkhead, he was sent off. So, obviously, I think everybody thought, well, let's get this guy moved on as soon as possible. But he knuckled down and, I mean, he ended up being at Rangers, what, for six years and uh, won a title as captain um, and, and a few more trophies as well. So, he, he led the team to the, the Champions League. Uh, we qualified from the group with Inter in it the, um, in 2005-2006. So, this is a guy that was a, a really top-class player for us. I don't think he ever really was as good at right back as what he was when we, he got moved in centre midfield. And uh, I think he really led the team on. Obviously, Barry Ferguson had left by that point and we really needed somebody to take the team to the scuff of the neck. I mean, Fernando had these issues off the park. His discipline wasn't always fantastic, but I think it was a great decision by uh, McLeish to give him the captaincy and he really knuckled down. And and he, he, was, a, he was a great player for us. And as I say, when, when, when we all found out about the... When he, when he, he got diagnosed with uh, MND. It was a nightmare, uh, to, to be honest. And and it's I think they gave him what eighteen months to live at the time in two thousand and thirteen. So the fact that we're we're, we're still talking about him now, um, they managed to battle all the way to two thousand nineteen is, is is amazing. It was real upsetting last week. I think it's it's quite easy to 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 talk about football players in the past away and 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 not really identify with them. But, I mean, I started going to Ibrox. My first season ticket was, I think, uh, 1999. So, uh, Rickson arrived the following year. So, it, it, he was a player that I kind of grew up with. He was a similar age to me. And I, I, so I could identify with the, with, the, with the sort of daft things he was doing as much as what he was doing on the park, you know. And and uh, for him to to be struck down with that disease is, 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 is a horrible thing. It's tragic. I mean, he's got a young family. And, and how he managed to ballot for so long. I mean, I, I don't think any of us understand the frustration that guy must have felt. I mean, as you mentioned in your, your preamble, it's, 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 your, your brain's absolutely fine. You just There's nothing you can do to control your body or you can't speak. And it, I can't think anything worse than that, to be honest. And uh, it's a, a tragic, tragic story with a tragic end. And uh, I'm, I'm going to miss the guy. I missed him when he left us when he was a player because he was a good player. And I'm going to miss him. His, his, his battle um, with with a disease that has inspired so many and has helped the guys that that run the charities for that disease. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it kind of ties us in nicely. Um, Rangers have kind of announced that there's going to be bucket collections for um, a, a charity that does a lot of work and research around motor neurons disease. It's a condition that still doesn't have a cure. Um, an interesting quote from Rickson actually a couple of years ago was that motor neurons disease isn't kind of high profile enough in the sporting world to to generate enough buzz to get enough money to to look into a cure and that if it was as high profile as certain cancers or there were more high profile people catching uh, you know getting motor neurons disease then they would have a cure in a couple of weeks but it's just not got that profile so rangers are, have organized bucket collections ahead of the, the game uh, next weekend i believe against aberdeen they are looking for people to volunteer to, to hold the buckets and collect money for the charity. Um, I, I believe all the details are on the website, but you can also email, I think it's rangerscharity at rangers.co.uk if you're looking to get involved. Um, it would be a really, really good way to honour the memory of Fernando Rickson. Pete, uh, how about yourself? Obviously, Rickson was a, a, a huge impact on Rangers when he arrived in the early 2000s. Like you say, he was around for Helicopter Sunday, um, captain the club's titles, um, a huge presence on and off the field, off the field um, 
what are your lasting memories of the guy? Well, I obviously knew him uh, before he came to Rangers because I've lived in Holland all that time. And yeah, he, he was started off with Fortuna Sitar and then he moved on to AZ. And there with AZ, he was, he was, I think that's where Advocat actually saw him playing because he was outstanding there. But let's face it, this disease, it doesn't matter who it is. It's one of the most horrible diseases I think you can ever, ever, ever have because it just, it just takes everything away from you. And uh, I hope they do get money from all governments that that they can, they can put a stop to this disease because it's absolutely one of the worst diseases, if not the worst disease you can have. But anyway, um, yeah, Fernando Rickson, I I don't think you can uh, talk about Fernando without talking about his off field things because he did have issues. And that's, uh, that's one of the, the things that, uh, and I think he actually quite enjoyed talking about his off-field things because I've seen a few television programs in Dutch that he enjoyed it, but it doesn't take away from the the, the fact that he was uh, he was an excellent player for Rangers. He was he played for Holland as well in the time that he was uh, with Rangers. Um, I'm not going to say he was great all the years he was with us because there was a few seasons that he that he wasn't great, but he uh, certainly the year. Uh, that he captained the team. He deserved to be captain. He was absolutely brilliant that year. And no, my, my memories are that year. And certainly uh, one of the best days of my life will be Helicopter Sunday. That was uh, that was a memory for that. That just brought, had me crying. And uh, I, I loved that. So these are the memories that I'll, I'll uh, certainly, certainly remember them of. And the way he fought to the end was absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. And God bless the guy. Aye, absolutely. I mean it's 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 tragic. I mean I'm I'm twenty-seven years old, right? So I this is one of the captains that I grew up watching. You know, he was one of the reasons that I fell in love with, with Rangers. Um I think I was possibly shielded a wee bit from his off field antics. So I remember him more as a as a player rather than what he got to got up to off the park. But to see the you know the the battling spirit that he had, the the leadership qualities that that he grew into as a captain, um, he was a an inspirational player. And actually, my one abiding hope out of all of this is that folk remember him for what he did on the pitch. Folk remember him as that warrior, as that leader um, who who never gave up. Um, excellent kind of quote that Chris has dropped here on on the comments. Before uh, the day before Helicopter Sunday, Rickson was quoted saying, first is everything, second is nothing. And it just sums the guy up, sums up his hunger and his drive. And I really hope that folk remember that side of him and don't remember him by the pictures that we've seen of him over the last couple of years of the guy who's you know, bound to his hospital bed, the guy that's having to communicate through a computer hooked up to his eyes. It really is the most heartbreaking sentence that anyone could be passed. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really, really tragic time. Frankie, there's been a huge outpouring of grief and support from, from clubs all over Europe. I mean, I remember when the news broke on, on Wednesday, I was seeing on Twitter various football clubs with no connection to Rickson, no real connection to Rangers, but were kind of getting involved and, and passing on tributes. 
it really seemed to strike a chord with with the whole footballing family in in the UK and in Europe. Why do you think his story connected with so many people? I think it's just a tragedy more than anything else. I mean, he was only a young guy, and as I say, he still had a, a wife and, and kid, and you know, what have you. So, uh, any 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 real person doesn't you have to be a football fan, just a human being can connect to that and identify with that. So, it's it's what the guy suffered from is it's it's just horrible. So, I, I think um, anybody out there in, in sport can. Can, can see that it's something you wouldn't want to happen to your worst enemy. So it doesn't matter if you're a Rangers fan or not, or, or what, what walk of life you're from. It's, it's something that you don't want to see happen. Uh, people die young or people die with these kind of diseases and certainly not leave families. So, and I mean, Rickson had a decent career. He played well with Rangers, won titles there. He was obviously at Zenith and, and, and he did well in, in Holland as well and, and, and represented his country and a good, a really good Holland team actually for what, 12 or 13 caps. So, People knew Rickson, and uh, and I think he, his family. I hope they take a, a bit of a, a happiness from from the, the way that his his death has been uh, has been noticed across the the, the footballing world. And uh, it's it's something as you say you mentioned. I hope we remember him for his footballing exploits, and I think we will because he did he did well for Rangers, and I think that's all we could have asked for him at that time. The one tragedy I I think uh, Ross is that. His daughter's seven year old, and she'll never know what her father was like really without that disease. I think that's it's, it's really horrible. It's a horrible story, and uh, I just hope his family. I wish them all the strength that they, they, they need to get. To, I hope they can get on with their life now, because obviously this disease from from Fernando has has played played a, a huge part in their life. So I, I hope they can move on and 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 make the best of their life now in the future. Well, I guess that's why it's so important that we as fans that that knew and loved him as a player keep that memory alive so that his daughter growing up understands the impact that this guy had on had on all of us. And look, if they if they didn't understand how much he was cherished by the Rangers family, then they certainly will do when when it comes to his funeral, they'll see the outpouring of grief and of love and support for the guy. So um, it's like I say, it's just it's just absolutely heartbreaking that you know the young family that he leaves behind and Pete yeah. arguably that's now our, our most iconic number twos have, have passed away in recent years in in Rickson and, and Sandy Jarden as well both succumbed to to really awful conditions. There's a, a few folk that I've seen online starting to say, look, should we in in their memory of, of these two great Rangers fullbacks, is it time that we retire the number two shirt in, in their memory and in their honour. No, I'm sorry, I'm not going with that one. I don't I don't believe that. We we move on. We uh life's life's keeps going on no matter what. We all we're all going to come, we're all going to go, but uh we can we can't change everything. If, if we're going to change the number of everybody that dies then we'll end up with number 3,002 in the back of the shirt and 10,008. No, I don't, I don't believe that. We just, we, we, we put the place, put the, put this in its place. Uh, Sandy Jardin, one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. Uh, loved the guy, but we've got to move on. And I, I don't start, don't believe that we should start resting numbers because a certain player played in that. It's not, not the way I think. Oh, it's a fair enough attitude. 
Listen, normally on the show, we'd, we'd be kind of looking throughout the news and, and, and picking up on a few of the wee stories that have been, have been taking place around Ibrooks and, and the Hummel Training Centre and, and checking in with all of that. But I think in a week like this, all of that's kind of rendered moot and, and it's probably most poignant just to leave it thinking about our memories of Fernando and, and, and really passing on all of our messages of, of strength and support to his family. Um, one so thing we- I thought, sorry, Ross, uh, one thing I thought as well that the, the funeral... Uh, is the, the car is going to go past Ibrooks, which I think is a really nice touch from Rangers and from the, the family. It is indeed. And uh, look, I'm sure there's going to be a, a huge, a huge Rangers family contingent out there to, to pass on their final respects to, to Fernando. And if anyone can, can make that, I'd really encourage you to do so. I think that's going to be a really, a really emotional day. Listen, guys, I think that's probably all we've got time for this evening. Um, I think there's there's no better place to leave it than with that poignant message. As always, I want to say a massive thank you to my guests for their, for their excellent insight this evening. So a big thank you to, to both Frankie and Pete. Um, remember, if you're if you're listening, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a thing from Jersnet. Uh, if you haven't already done so, make sure you head over to the website at www.jersnet.co.uk where you can see all of the uh, the great content there. There's articles, match previews, and a very, very friendly discussion forum uh, where you can catch myself, Frankie, and Pete and let us know your thoughts. Um, we're going to be back same time, same place next week where we're going to be discussing the Livingston Cup game and the tie against Aberdeen, which is sure to be a cracker. It's a huge week for Rangers. Um, all that's left for me to say is thank you very, very much for listening, as always. Thank you for getting involved with the show and have a wonderful week.